I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. A real old boat, a great dude, and a bunch of fish. That's really what we were talking about when we sat on a 90-foot boat that was made in 1944 in the docks in Sitka, Alaska, and talked to the owner-operator, Robbie Bruce. We talked about so many things. Robbie is a tender, and this is a fellow who goes out and collects fish from all the commercial fishermen and brings them back to the processing plants. He was in the middle of gathering chum salmon that are sold off for eggs and fillets and different things to Asian markets. We talked about seasons and regulations and fish returns and how commercial fishermen are thinking about things and ocean acidification. It's a short interview, but there's so much going on and it's right there on this fella's boat. Real life stuff happening. We think you're really going to enjoy this one. This from the field type of a podcast that we are continuing to bring you and hoping you're enjoying. So check this one out with Robbie Bruce. Howdy folks, Aaron Kindle here, and uh, we are continuing some fun that we're having here in Sitka, Alaska by talking to different folks that are in the field. And we're, we're really lucky today. Um, we're sitting on a 90-foot power scow that was built in 1944, and we're sitting with the owner-operator, Robbie Bruce. What's happening today, Robbie? Well, we, uh, we bought fish last night until about midnight, came in and offloaded, got done around 3 a.m., got a little nap in, and uh, we're off to Crawfish Inlet to buy some more uh, chum salmon here this afternoon since we get iced up and uh, um, get underway. And you two are going to join us for part of the voyage. That would be great. Well, looking forward to having you along. Yeah, we have Mandela and I here on the boat today, and we're going to go see a little bit of how Robbie's working out here. Tell us about just the general setup of your boat, who's on it, what you're going to do today. How, like, what does a typical day in you know middle of August look like for you? Well, we're, we contract with the company. We, we um, go out to the catcher boats and pick up their catch and supply them with groceries or f whatever they need, fresh water, that kind of thing, trying to keep them fishing. And then we bring the, the catch back to the plant for processing. We keep it in refrigerated seawater, chill the water down to 32 degrees, and then put them in our fish holds and hold them there until the plant is ready to process. It's, uh, what we're going for today is troll-caught chum salmon. Um, 
the market is mostly for the eggs, the akuru. Uh, they, they brine, salt brine the eggs and then freeze them and it's mostly an export market for the Japanese product. Uh, it's a Japanese product so um, the carcasses are then filleted and frozen and used for various purposes. Uh, but the, 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 the high market value is with the, the eggs and the chum salmon. So we'll pick up fish from trollers for the next two nights and then make sure they have what they need and we'll bring the product back to the plant in two days to, uh, to be processed. So. That's cool. What is it, so what is your season? Your warm season type fishing mostly, right? And what is that, when, when do you start, when do you end? Well, what you start when you? the fish show up. You know, okay. the, the salmon return, spawn, and you know, salmonoids return and spawn and then die and they come back usually starting um, first of June, uh, Alaska has an escapement-based management program, so they monitor all the streams, and they don't allow any fishing to ha occur until there's enough uh, uh, salmon return to the various watersheds to repopulate the the uh, the, the uh, biomass, and and then once that's done, they allow the fishermen to open they open it up for fishing after that, and so. Uh, so mid-June, the cohos kind of wind up end of September and then um, the bears go back and go to sleep and the fishermen take the fall off and they uh, um, all wait for the next return. So that's kind of the program for the salmon. That's awesome. And I think that's a cool segue too into talking a little bit about fisheries conservation. I've always thought what they're doing in Alaska, I learned that actually when I was learning about the Pebble Mine in Bristol Bay, that cool system they have that they have these counting spots right. where the fish go past and then the season doesn't open until there's X number. Right. Can you unpack that a little bit more for us? That's a unique thing. Yeah, they, they have people walking streams, they use airplanes, fly the streams, they count salmon, they um, have a lot of data, a lot of modeling goes on. Of course, modeling is a model, right? It's not the absolute, but they do predictions every year for how much the return is going to be, and they have a pretty good idea from year to year what is going to happen. And uh, so they do stream walking and count fish and then open up the various watersheds, various regions. There's the southeast Alaska is divided into a number of different districts, and uh, they'll open them and close them based on escapement um, for uh, commercial fishing. So, Let's talk about commercial fishing as conservation. Um, there, there's a cool interface there, I think, you know, if you're making your living off of a, a fishery, you're obviously not going to want to see that fishery go away. You've, oh, you've got a lot of experience in this realm, why don't you just give us a, a little overview of, you know, what's the community saying and thinking about all the different things that are happening with salmon and you know, overall fisheries conservation in the in the sea out here. Well, like I was saying before, a lot of the uh, salmon returns are based are uh, there's some large cyclical changes in salmon returns, and it's it's hard to there's ups and downs in all the fisheries. Um, the fishermen are by by the f most most fishermen are very supportive of the regulations. I would say all fishermen are supportive of the regulations. Well, all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah most, no fishermen are, most fishermen are, are incredibly supportive of the regulatory bodies that we have here in Southeast. And they're, when they come out with, a, with an assessment or a projection or, or a closure, then people abide by those rules. And um, there is enforcement too, of course. But uh, um, by and large, people are very supportive of the regulatory process here. And um, 
they all want to see the fish come back. There's a lot of multi-generational fishermen, fishing families here that they want to see their kids have the opportunity to, to go do it. And um, there's always new people coming in too. There's a lot of transient population. People from down south come up and fish. I'm actually from down south. I wouldn't, I'm not an Alaska <laughs> resident, but uh, I've been coming here since 1988 and, and working here. And I had based the, my boats are based in Petersburg. So we work for various companies around southeast, but yeah. So, so when you hear stuff on the, you know, on the wind from the fishing community, what are they concerned about right now as far as their livelihood and, you know, the sustainability of this resource and things like that? Well, everyone's concerned about sustainability. On a day-to-day -day basis, people are more concerned about, at this time of year, you're so focused on, on getting, making your living for the year that it's like, well, where are the king salmon being caught in this here and, you know, where are the chums? And so people get kind of inwardly focused at this time of year trying to make sure that they can make their boat payments and, and survive the, the down months in the wintertime. So, uh, um, yeah, there, but in, in general, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of activity around supporting. A lot of people are, are not directly involved in supporting the, the uh, conservation other than abiding by the rules and the regulations that Fish and Game lays out for us to follow. Uh, and everybody is concerned with sustainability, though. And it's, you have to have the time and the money and the effort to be able to put into it, too. Um, and that anadromous fish thing is still just so cool and so unique to me. It would be hard to, to even kind of sleep, I think, when you see this resource, like, go up and die. Yeah. And then you're just, next year, we sure hope it comes back again. You know, you know it is a, that way. You know, it's, it's things, well, as far as climate change goes, my change goes, my biggest concern is ocean acidification and, and the, the, the macro condition of the ocean you know it's, if the baseline food source disappears then the salmon might not show up some year and it could happen that fast you know if all of a sudden the all the the zooplankton have little calcified shells disappear then the that just you know ruins the food chain all the way up and and it could happen very quickly that things disappear you yeah know, it's a very like intricate food web and, yeah it's, it's it is and it's a it's really based on the small the small critters out there that sort of supply the baseline food for everything. One other thing we've heard from folks is, you know, there's a there's a warm bubble out in the North Pacific that happens sometimes, and, mm -hmm. and some folks have, have, you know, theorized that that's the same, those years the, sa the king salmon are smaller. Um, do, you, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, you know, you hear there's lore in the community, and then there's truth, and there's, well, I just I always like to hear about what people think of that. I think... Last year, Bristol Bay sockeye were a half pound smaller on average. Now that seems like a highly significant drop in size. I'm not sure why that happened exactly, but you know, it's hard to cause or coincidence doesn't prove causality. You know, it's 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 hard to say exactly what's happening. I think the king salmon fisheries that are fished on commercially that tend towards smaller and smaller fish as they go. I mean, it, it, as, it, as they become more advanced in the fisheries, you know, the larger fish get taken out and then they don't grow as fast. If you're dealing with a, a fish that lives for 40 years and there's a commercial fishery, then the, the, the tendency is for them to get smaller and smaller over time from that kind of um, natural attrition, I guess you would call it, or unnatural attrition, depending on your perspective. But uh, um, 
in order to attribute that to climate change, it would be, I, I think there needs to be a lot more studying. Personally, I think we need to spend more money studying the ocean and studying, doing tagging programs. And I know I'm involved in the albacore fishery and we funded a tagging program about 20 years ago. They put some live tags on albacore or recording tags and sent them off and they put 1,500 out. We recovered three of them and they got so much data from that, it completely changed the way the picture of where North Pacific albacore go when they spawn and how they live and how many times they surface and how many times they descend and it just changed everything up you know it was a it was quite a uh, interesting study yeah, the ocean is yeah we just don't have very mystery. much information yeah. about it you know I mean they do trawl surveys out in the central North Pacific and trawl up salmon and analyze what's in their bellies but you know it's very it's it's expensive and it's it's you know there's not a lot of, of effort for that kind of thing so let's talk a little bit more about you know your personal your boat here how you run things what you do I know you've talked about some of uh, the people you like to bring on and your crews talk, talk a little bit more about just how it operates and what you try to do here um, yeah I, I like old wooden boats this is built in 44 and it's a uh, um, yeah we have I hire a lot of younger people in the tendering business here you know you tend not to be in the you know the it's an entry-level way to get into the fisheries so I try to hire half women half men for a crew and uh, Sarah is running the Ginny C for me right now um, I have two women on here as crew now and uh, yeah we just uh, try to keep that equitable I guess and and, uh, and a lot, again these tendering jobs are entry level a lot of times people learn to drive they learn to do wheel watches and then they can move on to other projects and, and other other boats if they want to do that and, um, uh, well cool I, I you know I've enjoyed talking to you let's let's do one more thing just for fun just to as we wrap this up talk about the future what do you see what do you hope future? for the future, you know, <laughs> fisheries, your future. How, how does it all coincide? What do well, you I see? I think I'll probably do this till I'm 90. You know, yeah. but you know, no, I'm kidding. I've, I've been kind of flipping about that lately, and I'm 65 now, so I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm starting to get tired. But no, I think this. I, when I started doing this in the 80s, everyone said it's over. Commercial fishing's done. The oceans are collapsing. You know, the resilience of the oceans is incredible. You know, and uh, the value and the. Uh, the longevity of it all, and I, I foresee it continuing on. Um, you know, it's as long as the regulatory process stays strong, and and there's not a lot of development. You know, we were talked about transboundary issues and the mining and that kind of thing, and pebble mine. You know, as long as we can keep the salmon streams out from under Walmart parking lot, well, not Malani anymore, or a big mine, or yeah. big mines, or whatever. You know, then yeah. if we can support this, the the habitat. Then I think the fish will keep coming back. Um, so the future, I think, is going to, I mean, this is going to continue on here unless there's a major crash in the ocean. And if all the fish in the ocean disappear, then I'm afraid, you know, humanity is at high at a high yeah, state of risk. Trouble. So yeah. we've got more. Yeah, so uh, as long as we're, as long as they're there, we'll be here. And, you know, and, and uh, um, I'm, I'm hopeful for the future. And things, all, things change. We're going to have to change the way we do things largely. And energy consumption and all this stuff is going to have to be part of the future and uh, we'll just hopefully be able to hang with it and keep it all going so Bristol Bay had a record run this year so it's we'll, we'll see how that 
all pans out. But as long as we can maintain habitat and maintain the, the resource, I think it'll stay with us for, I hope forever, of course, but yeah. nothing's forever. But. Well, thanks for chatting with us. Any, one last, you get a chance to shoot us off on one last high note, whatever you want to say. We always, we always like to tell our guests last wise words. This is my, uh, my partner calling on the sad phone, but I think you guys should just get out into southeast Alaska, and there's so much to explore here. There's so many beautiful places that it would be really great. I'd love to be able to show you guys some really unique spots, but um, maybe next time you come we can do that. I've spent a lot of time cruising around the various area, you know, various bays and inlets and fjords of southeast, and it's a, it's a pretty spectacular place. And, you know, there's there's a lot of adventuring to do here, so. It sure is. Thank you, Robbie. Yeah. Appreciate your time. For more great content, check out NWF Outdoors social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Connect with us. We want to hear from you. Send us your ideas for podcast guests and questions in the comments. We are... NWF Outdoors. <laughs>